Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 3rd of July 2017. In today's episode, we discuss snipers and sniping in the Great War with Martin Pegler, the former senior curator of firearms at the Royal Armies in Leeds. Martin has just completed an updated version of his book, Sniping in the Great War, published by Pen and Sword. I spoke to Martin from his home in central France over the interweb about his book. I started by asking how he became interested in sniping. Yes, uh, I interviewed a lot of Great War veterans in the late 70s and early 80s, and one or two of them have been snipers. And I've always um, been a a shooter myself. Um, I shot at uh, at Bisley and in club shooting from the time I was about 14. So I had an interest in shooting and accurate shooting. And I was rather intrigued uh, about these men because I knew nothing really about sniping in the Great War. And uh, having interviewed them, I wandered off to see what information I could find and discovered there was virtually nothing. Hesketh Pritchard, uh, who most people have heard of, um, one or two others, Herbert McBride, Canadian sniper, but almost nothing published. And from that point, I decided to start doing my own research. So what was the role of sniping in trench warfare during the Great War? Well, initially, there was no British role. Um, We had no snipers. Uh, The Germans understood the value of sniping from the very outset, and they fielded large numbers of snipers, and the the actual numbers disputed, um, possibly between 15 and 20,000. And um, they realized that that snipers could, could dominate the trenches um, they were extremely valuable for um, taking out commanders, um, in fact, anybody who, who showed a bit of carelessness. Um, they didn't necessarily have to be a particularly valuable soldier because the impact of sniping, certainly in its early days, was um, to instill fear into the enemy, which it, it did. Um, it it took the British quite a while to realise that uh, the number of men who were being killed um, through mostly headshots in the trenches was not just accidental. Um, it was a deliberate policy. And uh, certainly through 14 and early 15, um, men who served in the trenches um, were pretty well terrified of, of the sniper menace. So, because obviously there was a lot of reports in that sort of early period in the first year of the war of people being shot, and there seems to be this sort of aura about German snipers. Why were they so good, or was that really a lot of just fear? No, they were good. Um, it, it was a it was a difference between the the lifestyles, if you like, of of the British and the Germans. Uh, there was no real hunting culture in Britain. The only people who hunted were the gentry and the well-off, and it was it was usually game birds and deer. Um, in Germany, there was a huge cult of hunting because of the vast forests that covered Germany, and 
for a lot of rural Germans, they grew up with, with a rifle in their hands, uh, in part to provide meat for the table, but also because becoming a Jager, a hunter, was, uh, was a great distinction. Um, it was almost a rite of passage for, for young German boys. And so there was great emphasis put on being able to shoot, being good at fieldcraft. Um, and of course, this translated very easily into hunting in the trenches because the Germans were able to pull in hundreds, if not thousands, of, of very well-trained shots, um, mostly in the Jaeger regiments, who had been hunting since their early teens and simply transferred their skills from deer, boar uh, and other game animals uh, to humans. So how did the British in this sort of 1915 um, counter these tactics that, that they encountered in trench warfare? It was a very mixed series of methods that were adopted to try and deal with it. Nobody had come up with any straightforward, simple solution. Um, a number of big game rifles were purchased by the War Office and issued more or less randomly to line units because they could actually deal with the, um, the armoured shields that the snipers used um, quite a lot um, on the German side. Um, but it's all very well giving a rifle like that to somebody who's, uh, who's potted a few deer. But if you've given them no training in field craft and observation, um, then really you're wasting your time. There were a number of British soldiers who were good shots, um, mostly because they'd been uh, busily or, or target shooters. And there were a smattering of gamekeepers and poachers who knew how to handle a rifle. They were few and far between. Of course, no one were trained. There was no method of bringing them together. So certainly in 1415, it was very ad hoc. There wasn't much we could do to counter the Germans. And the Germans were certainly in control of no man's land so right up until probably mid-1915. Mid so how did the British develop um, sniping and counter-tactics from sort of mid-1915 mid up to the end of the war? Well, Britain always has a remarkable ability to, um, to get its finger out at the last possible moment and, and then turn um, disaster into success. And because of a few officers like Hesketh Pritchard, uh, an officer called, called Crum, another called Penbutty. Um, these men had experience of big game shooting. Um, they were excellent shots themselves. They badgered the army to form some sort of groups that could take on the Germans um, at their own game. And so what happened was units, line units, began to form sniper sections. Um, which is all very well because you've got to have rifles that are, are capable of, of being effectively used. There was nothing other than the standard um, SMLE, the, the short magazine Lee Enfield. And so a, um, a war office tender was put out in early 15 to ask for companies to mount telescopic sights onto these rifles. Three main types were produced, but actually there were or possibly another nine or ten manufactured by many of the London gun makers um, like Purdy and Churchill. So there was a fairly broad range of rifles issued to snipers, although they were all basically the same format of, um, you know, of the standard three, three Lee Enfield. 
um, with a number of, of different scopes on. And then through the hard work of, of um, men like Eskis Pritchard, gradually sniping schools were formed and um, the army began to take it seriously because, of course, the, the losses were, were considerable um, you know, along the whole of the front. Between a dozen and 18 men a day were, were lost through sniping. And you, know, you multiply that amongst the number of, of units serving on the Western Front, it was a colossal number of men. And the army began to realize that um, these weren't isolated incidents. Uh, this was a German tactic that had to be dealt with. And so really from mid-15, um, decent rifles began to be issued to, to line regiments. Uh, men were sent away onto training courses uh, and they began to come back um, with some idea of what they were doing. Um, initially, it was the idea was that officers and NCOs would be trained and they would then come back and train the men, but actually that turned out not, not to work very well at all. Um, so gradually Britain began, uh, and it was a very gradual process, to, to bring its own snipers into the line and to start to meet the Germans head on. So what impact did snipers have on soldiers? So I'm thinking probably either from the German or the British perspective um, during the war. Um, the soldiers were very wary of anywhere that was under sniper observation, quite rightly. You were never entirely safe. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of people don't understand the the power of, of the modern rifle bullets, and um, places that were under observation from snipers, um, if you were reasonably close, within perhaps 200 metres, um, a German rifle bullet could go through a metre of hard-packed sandbags, and so the men never felt entirely safe. You could be chatting to a chum and uh, a bullet could come ripping through a sandbag and um, you were one soldier less. So the Germans also had a reputation, a well-deserved reputation, for being extremely patient and extremely accurate. On average, about three seconds for for a sniper to see his target, uh, take aim and shoot. And so the British soldier in the trenches, the men were generally more cautious than the officers who believed that, usually to their detriment, that, that showing any sort of fear um, was a very bad thing, very cowardly. Uh, and they would quite often expose themselves quite unnecessarily um, and would pay the price. But Gradually, everybody began to realise that the Germans, in fact, uh, were very professional and very good at it. Uh, and we had to be the same if we were going to not only take them on, but eventually beat them at their own game. So how were, how were snipers regarded by their own side, and how would, you, how would the soldiers actually regard enemy snipers? That's always been an interesting question. Snipers in the First World War were generally believed to be men who were doing something that was a necessity, but it wasn't gentlemanly and it wasn't really proper warfare. I think they would probably draw the line at calling them unprincipled killers, um, or as the Americans did in the Second World War, uh, snipers were referred to as murder incorporated. But there was always this, this dichotomy between the men wanting their own snipers to take on the Germans and beat them, at the same time not really liking them very much. And and that was an attitude that didn't change, certainly in the British Army, to the 1980s. As far as enemy snipers, it wasn't unknown for enemy snipers to be uh, killed on the spot. Um, and indeed, the um, I believe there's a diary entry from the Royal Scots Regiment 
that just laconically says, caught a Hun sniper and hung him. Um, they weren't well liked, and it's the reason why they um, they never wore insignia on their, their uniforms. If, if you were about to be captured, um, you ditched your rifle and uh, pretended you were an ordinary soldier, and you might get away with it. And, and that really was true for, for the Second World War and every war subsequently um, up until virtually you know, today. So they they were re- they were they were needed there was no doubt about that um, but they weren't liked uh, certainly on the british side the allies had a slightly different attitude in germany snipers were quite highly regarded both in the first world war and the second world war completely different social attitude so um, i think you could say that they were tolerated in the british army uh, but lauded in the german army finally martin where can people get your book from Oh, uh, well, clearly the easiest way is to go online um, to, to Pen and Sword uh, and order it directly. I mean, you, you can, of course, get it from Amazon and um, most book dealers now um, will, um, will get it for you. Martin, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.